0: And I think that so many people are scared to take the first step towards whatever that dream or that goal is, whether that's job-related, relationship-related, fitness-related, whatever it happens to be. I think a lot of people are scared to take that first step because the mountain seems so big. Right. And. Yeah. For me i've just started with little goals this is the knocking doors
1: down podcast featuring celebrities experts and everyday people who have overcome adversities including addiction mental health and trauma to live purposeful lives and that's what knocking doors down is all about this episode of knocking doors down i'm talking with the one and only chris van vliet aka CVV, he is known for his YouTube channel interviewing various celebrities and his podcast Insight with Chris Van Vliet. The reason I want to talk with him is he's huge on daily gratitude and the practices that surround that. I wanted to pick his brain about what works for him, how he faced triumph and tragedy, overcoming various hardships, and continues to build the life that he is focused on with intentional living. For more on Chris, click the link in the podcast description, give him a follow, and tell Chris you heard about him on Knocking Doors Down if you're not already following him. And I'm Jason Lachance, the host of Knocking Doors Down. I do this podcast because I continue to grow through my addiction recovery. I want to share the stories and knowledge from others and pick their mind about what has led them to success, which is what knocking Doors Down is all about. And of course, we couldn't do knocking Doors Down without 5150LTM. I've got one of my favorite hats, the black on black logo hat, which you can get by clicking the link in the podcast description for 5150LTM.com. Use the code KDD20 for 20% off. 5150 is a lifestyle brand with purpose. Not only do they have a ton of great gear, as well, partial proceeds benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation and their three programs, The Race to be Drug-Free, The Race for Autism, and The Race to End the Stigma. These three programs are near and dear to my heart, and it's an honor to support the Carlos Vieira Foundation as well as 5150 that benefits the Carlos Vieira Foundation. For more on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, click the link in the podcast description. Here's Chris Van Vliet. CVV, Chris Van Vliet, thanks for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. Jason, thank you so much for having me
0: on. And I appreciate the mic game you got here. Nothing better than the Shure SM7B, right? Oh, it's
1: a requirement, right? If we're going to do it, this, let's do this right. If you're doing this right, yeah. Uh, well, man, I mean, I could probably go for a couple hours, but I really want to dig in because you've been talking a little more. You did a great podcast recently where three things you learned from John Cena. So I really kind of want to start. I'm like, how do I get into the mindset of Chris Van Vliet? I'm going to flip it up on him a little bit. Three things you're grateful for today.
0: Yeah, I like that. Well, I start every day with that. So for me, it's, uh, I'm grateful for my health. And so grateful for the opportunities that being healthy has, you know, allowed me, um, you know, it was like great quote and I'm going to, you know, kind of paraphrase it, but it's the healthy man has a thousand problems and the sick man has one. And I love, you know, priority is a, a, a health is a priority for me. So health for sure, my family, and that extends to my fiance, my mom and dad who are incredible. My, my sister, my niece and nephew. So happy that they're all healthy as well. I'm super grateful for that. And just grateful for opportunities, man. Like the fact that you and I are able to connect in real time while we're in different cities, like it's, it's such an exciting time to be alive, exciting time to be a content creator. And I'm grateful for that every single day. Yeah.
1: Well, you are, are one of the best and i want to pick your brain at at least for, for me, you are and been an inspiration to keep me motivated through some hard times to keep doing what I do. Um, But, you know, I I really want to dig into that discipline because one of the things that really hooked me was you always ask every guest about gratitude, uh, time permitting, of course. And so I was like, I got to understand this guy a little bit more. What was Chris like as a kid and what was kind of family like? Was this a a molding that your parents kind of put on you or were you pretty much always a uh,
0: self-motivated individual? I just kind of always realize that there's the good in every situation is the bad in every situation. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you which one you want to focus on in every single moment and in every single day. So that's always been a big thing for me. And look, you know, we all have bad days, right? <laughs> but I would rather try to have more good days <laughs> than bad days. So growing up, I just feel really fortunate and grateful that I had an amazing example of love and companionship and positivity from my parents who are still together. They've been together for 48 years. And I think that having that kind of as the core, as the anchor has really helped. Right. And it's also funny that like, when you grow up, you think up until like age four or five, six or something like that, you think that every household functions the way that your household does. <laughs> right. And then you like get to school and you start to meet friends as you're going through elementary school. And you're like, Oh, you guys don't do like that thing, or this isn't like a commonplace thing. And then, you know, you start to add up all those different experiences and you go, man, I'm just really, really lucky that this is the life that I get to live. Yeah. When
1: did the the bug for broadcasting hit you? I was a kid, grew up middle of nowhere, kind of. Yeah, a bit of an unstable home, so things like radio, sci-fi, TV, comic books, pro wrestling—they were kind of that companion
0: for me. Yeah, for me it was real young. I remember getting a Fisher Price radio when I was four years old, <laughs> and like it had a microphone attached to it, and I would pretend to be the radio DJs that I heard on the radio. Oh. And like that was just me like goofing around, but like you know, obviously like very passionate about broadcasting, whether it was radio or television. I honestly never thought it could be a job until much later on in life. But I always loved the idea of presenting. Like, I loved the idea of being able to hold a microphone, whether I was the vice president of the student council and giving a speech. I gave the morning announcements in my high school. I hosted the talent show. Like, I loved being able to hold a mic because that meant that whatever I said would garner a reaction out of you. So that was always something I was really drawn to. And I did. You know plays. I acted in plays when I was growing up, and then it was like, I went to school for communication studies. I went to college for communication studies, but I had this epiphany in my senior year, where I was like, "Look, like I'm having the best time in school right now. I live with four of my best friends. We would love to, you know, drink beer and go out to the bar." <laughs> And then you would, you know, decide if you felt like going to class the next day. And sometimes mm-hmm. a 10 a.m. class was far too early to sleep through it. <laughs> Sounds familiar. I, 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 it's, that's a lot of people's college experience, uh-huh. right? So I, I woke up one day in my senior year and just had this epiphany. And I was like, we're going to have to work for the rest of our lives after we graduate. Mm-hmm. And it will no longer be like, do I feel like going to work? Am I, you know, am I up for it? It's like, no, you got to go to work like that. There's. No two ways about it. And it was in that exact moment, Jason, that I realized like I wanted to have a job that I, at the very least, didn't hate. But (laughs) if I was really lucky, maybe a job that I would love doing. And that's when I reached out to every radio station and every TV station in my college town and just tried to start to get the ball rolling for when I did graduate, maybe, possibly, hopefully things could line up and I could get actually paid to do it one day. Yeah. You and I both uh, started
1: with radio. I had about a 20 year career. And I want to ask you that value of, I bump heads with a lot of youth on this one. Well, if I'm not getting paid, I'm not going to do it. Uh, and it's like, it's, stuff don't always trickle that way, guys. Sometimes you got to get in there and show you want it, but you interned as well.
0: Correct. Yeah. And I, I would say to that phrase of, if I'm not going to pay it, I'm not, going to do it, I would think that, well, you're not going to do it then. Yeah. Like, And it really comes down to how badly do you want it? And I think you really can't put a price tag on the experiences that you learn as an intern. And you know this, and I do as well. There is no other place in the world where I would be able to just go in and pick up an actual ENG camera and like learn how that thing would work. Or one of my first volunteer positions was at a community television station, TV station. And I was... I ran cameras, I ran audio, I was a floor director, like, come on, like, that doesn't exist anywhere. I would have paid them for those opportunities. (laughs) So I think that especially in the world of broadcasting, which is kind of morphed now into the world of content creation, there is no other place that you can get that experience. Like, sure, you can learn about it in a classroom. Maybe you even have a a hands-on classroom where you're actually making television or radio segments. But nothing replicates how it's actually done in the real world. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I I
1: remember one year because I went to college for film and television and uh, the local TV station. I grew up watching uh, KSBW. uh, Clint Eastwood's wife used to be on there. uh, Ex-wife, Dina Ruiz, was my favorite. And they're like, hey, you can come for the Christmas time and learn all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, it'll be probably for Dina's broadcast. I'm like, I'm in. (laughs) I'm in. This has been my favorite reporter that I would sit and watch as a little kid, like talking with Ronald Reagan and all these people. It's like, I'm in, you know, it's like, you're not going to get paid. I went, yeah, but I made connections and connections I still have to this day. And, And I think it's so important for those entering anything to understand that.
0: And I also think that some of the biggest things that you'll learn are not specifically things that you're taught. It's things that you just pick up like through osmosis, just by like watching. I remember going to live television tapings. I sat in the audience when I was a teenager and I remember just, you know what? They weren't specific lessons, but it was little things of like, how did the host carry himself? Mm -hmm. What happened during commercial breaks with the guest? Did the host talk to the guest? Was the host talking to a producer? Like it was those little things. That I really think that years later in my career, I would go back and go, oh, yeah, I remember seeing this. And now I'm in that situation myself.
1: Yeah. that Man, I haven't thought of that in a long time. In college, we went to The Price is Right. And so we got to see Bob Barker do his thing. Wow. Which, di- which during a break, though, Bob Barker did make fun of me. So I at least got that on my resume. <laughs> he he uh, asked for someone in the crowd, give me an ooh and an ah. So he picks me out. I'm in the the single seat and he goes, uh, he goes, I need a handsome and virile man. He goes, ah, you might be handsome, but I don't know about the virile. I'm like, oh, <laughs> really, Bob? Really?
0: Uh, what a core memory, though. Bob Barker, he's he's one of the goats. It, it, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little adversity, though, because
1: I don't know if how many people know it. You did face some, some different uh, challenges once the career was rolling, you had some things going, but then shut down on you. Yeah. So, how did you handle that moment? Was
0: there a there was there a find something else, or were you just that determined? So, to kind of give a little bit of backstory, the internship that I had right after college was at a tiny station yeah, yeah. in Peterborough, Ontario. That internship turned into, in two weeks, me being on TV as an intern, like an intern reporter, which kind of just like their way of going, do you have it or do you not? That internship ended up turning into a job. I was there for like 18 months as a news reporter and news anchor at 22 years old. And I was like, I I really want something where I can showcase a little bit more personality. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, where I'm from, we have Much Music, which is kind of like the Canadian MTV, and they also have MTV2. Or MTV Canada, there was a an open casting call, and long story short, I ended up getting this job. But it was in Vancouver, and the way I got the job is I knew the name of the person doing the casting. I sent my stuff in, and I didn't hear back from them. Like, but I feel like I could. I feel like this job is like within reach for me. I called up the TV station. I said, hi, is so-and-so there? And they said, sure, one moment. And I actually was asking for the person that was doing the hiring. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to be in Vancouver next week. Vancouver's like Seattle. I was living in Toronto. It's like 3,000 miles away. I'm going to be there next Thursday. <laughs> uh, you know, If I could come by and talk to you about the job, that'd be great. Well, if you're going to be here, sure, come on by. So I ended up getting the job, I think, only because I made myself available and put myself in the city and then in the room. Right. And then a year in, one big media company bought another one and they merged together and our show got canceled like in an instant. And I, I'll never forget it. I was like sitting there at my computer, like normal day of work, typing away. And we thought, oh, this new media company, they're going to buy us a new studio. Like it's amazing. <laughs> and we're like waiting for like, you know, the announcement of like when when's our new studio gonna be announced? And my boss came in and was just like, hey, everybody, stop, stop what you're doing. They just canceled the show. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? And it was, I had to make a really big decision. Do I stay in Vancouver where I had moved for this job, where I didn't really know anyone outside of my colleagues, or did I pack up my car and drive the 47 hours back to my parents' house and try to figure it out again? And that's what I decided to do. I knew there were more opportunities in the Toronto market than there were in the Vancouver market. So yeah, I packed up my 1995 Robin's egg blue Toyota Corolla and made the 47 hour drive across five days, a a road trip with one of my best friends. I flew out Greg and we drove back and then I was unemployed for seven months and it was tough because I was basically doing exactly what I wanted to do. I was interviewing the biggest celebrities in the world, musicians and comedians and actors and directors. And then out of nowhere, I felt like the rug kind of got swept out from underneath me and I wasn't ready for it to be done. And I was applying for all of these other jobs and I was auditioning for all these other TV shows and it just wasn't clicking. It would be down between me and one other person, me and two other people, and then would go to somebody else who might've been older, maybe already worked with that company before. And I was just starting to get really frustrated because if I couldn't find a job in my own country of Canada, I felt like I was going to have to look elsewhere. And that's when I ended up getting an agent in the U S and that was kind of what got the ball rolling. I ended up getting another job in Toronto, hosting an entertainment show there, but it was through that time and that adversity that I went, I, I gotta, I gotta try everything. And why yeah. not just swing for the fences? Yeah. Was there ever a, Go a ahead, big sorry. believer in like the worst that you can hear is no, like, if I submitted my stuff to all these agents in the U.S. and they said, yeah, you're not really what we're looking for, I would have gone, okay, cool. Let's I'll just work on getting better. Yeah. But I was just like, I'm going to swing for the fences. If it doesn't, it doesn't work out, that's okay. At least I knew that I tried. Yeah. And I think that's a really undervalued
1: thing that, that I see a lot of sensitivity towards and I get it, but like no's okay. Yeah. We have to be more comfortable with rejection. It's it's just a part of life. It, 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 you're going to get lots of no's. And a matter of fact, it's a good thing because then it sets a boundary and you can kind of
0: gauge and figure out then the next path, don't you think? Well, I think it's important to to just know what direction that you're headed in. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you don't like to hear no, like then you're not going to get very far in life. And I think that the biggest problem is that a lot of people fear no, and they don't even bother asking. And I'm sure that you have lots of friends like this, Jason. Where it's like, well, you know, I'm just—I mean, they wouldn't want someone like me anyway. So I'm—I just, I just I didn't even bother. It's like, well, how do you know? Like, yeah. How do you know? And also, sometimes no for this one specific thing leads you to a yes in something that's like adjacent to it. Yeah. Like you see that a lot in the world of acting, where. You might not be right for this role, but you read for this casting director and they remember you. So now when something comes along six months from now that you're perfect for, they go, oh, hey, Chris, uh, you weren't right for that other one, but we thought you were great. Do you want to audition for this one instead? Yeah,
1: no. I, and you're right about that because I myself have had that quit before you get going kind of thing. It's something I've personally had to, uh, to do a lot of work on. Um, it's a big struggle with that that confidence. Um, you know, some people have positive ego, some people have negative ego, and mine's kind of been zero at times. So it's just like, eh, you don't exist to these people, why try? Uh, and, and there had to be some internal dialogue
0: and, and, and work to, um, to change that around for sure. And I think that that just really starts with who do you, who are you and how do you view yourself? Right. Because I think that that's, what's the most, what's most important is how you view yourself. And then the way that you view yourself ends up going outward and then people will start to view you that same way. Yeah. What personal work do you do for
1: yourself? Um, you know, cause you're, you're out there, you're in the spotlight, uh, working with some of the biggest names in entertainment and you do just a, just an amazing job. Um, God, I'm stuck. It made me think of the key and pill bit that you put up when you <laughs> had the teacher saying your name. Uh, but uh, how, how do you like in the morning get, you, you know, what is some of the mindset that, that Chris has that he looks in the mirror? You know, are you a self-affirmation guy? I know you're big into fitness, clean eating. What are some of those internal dialogues
0: that you, you know, work on with yourself? Gratitude really anchors it all. So like being able to focus on the things that you do have rather than the things you don't have, I think that that takes you a real long way. And I think that there's so many people that, you know, comparison's the thief of joy. We've heard Mm. that so much, but I think that there's so many people that go, well, I don't have this, or I don't have that, or I wasn't born with this, or I wasn't born with that. Let's take what you do have that's in front of you and work with that. So that's a really big thing is gratitude, first thing in the morning, gratitude, last thing before I go to bed. And fitness is another thing for me where, you know, there, there is, I, I'm, not a, I'm not any sort of a scientist or doctor or anything, but there is something physiological that goes on in your brain when you're moving your body. And that I think has helped so much. So there's not a day that goes by that I don't do something, whether it's going for a run, a walk, going to the gym something. And then also breath work, like Mm. breath work has also really helped. And that's been something I've been doing maybe the last year or so, but doing breath work and just being able to control your breath, um, and it's it's a form of meditation too but that's and that's been a big one for me. Yeah, I've recently
1: um uh, had had people getting me into that I've I'm in this awesome recovery group and and the leader of it he does a lot of breath work and my brother's huge on the Wim Hof stuff, you know, like Me too. Are you so you just been, bought a off. cold plunge? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. How is that working for you? My brother challenged me, "Hey, at the end of all your showers, 2 minutes, turn it to
0: cold and and, and breathe through it." And I, I'm I'm getting there. Look, two minutes is a a big, big start. I would say start with like 30 seconds because something that happens, the initial, like your, your skin goes, I don't want to be in this. (laughs) But then once your skin gets numb to it, you actually start to get the effects of like your core body temperature, like kind of regulating. It's an incredible thing. And I made it my goal this year to not get sick. So knock, not better knock on wood here. We got like five (laughs) weeks left in the year, but I was always one of those people that if I got a cold, it would just kind of linger for maybe two weeks, just a little, you know, runny nose, a little bit of a cough. It would just linger. And I said, this is going to be the year where I put my health at the absolute forefront of the movement that I do in the gym or the movement I do, you know, around the, um, around my house, but also the things I eat and like the breath work and all of that, the vitamins that I take. And here I am now it's, you know, middle of November and Knock on wood. Right. Good. But uh, that's a, bi- that's a really big thing for me. Yeah. That's a, uh, thank
1: you for sharing that. Uh, funny. i you're talking about getting the colds and stuff. Isn't it the worst is people that we use our voice for a living. And it always is the thing that ends up getting the infection or something. The worst. Yes.
0: <laughs> like, and I I feel like I'm one of those people that when I do get a runny nose, like I start to sound like this. <laughs> nobody wants to hear this voice over, you know,
1: right.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah i'm here with blaine the rock johnson yeah. <laughs> <Alicron's. laughs> how's going uh I, hey congratulations on the engagement by the way thank you so much that's that's really just awesome i love hearing i hopefully i'm gonna be talking with uh dane cook here soon too and you know him kind of going through that so i i like to ask you know motivated individuals you know how How is it that you really view a relationship? And and I ask that because a lot of people, I think when they see celebrity and I, I put you in that category, whether you do or don't, um, that it's just all this sunshine and rainbow stuff, but there's just so much work to a successful relationship of any kind, be it romantic
0: business, whatever. And I think that relationships go through a lot of different phases, right? And I know a lot of people who, once the sunshine and rainbow phase kind of fades away, you go, Oh, wow, this isn't for me anymore. And that's why, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of friends, as do I, where they have a lot of relationships that end at like the six to nine month mark, where like that honeymoon phase has fizzled out. So, this is the first time in my life where I've had a relationship that truly feels like a partnership. Like it truly feels like we are in this together, like hold my hand, let's do this through thick or thin. And it's, it's a, it's such a deeper love on like, it's such a different level. Yeah. Like I, I love this woman, Rachel on a completely different level, like as a human being to her core, like, and and I think that that's something that I've, I've never had before. I've, I've dated many incredible women in the past, but no one like this. And it, you know, they say that, you know, so cliche that you know, when you know, <laughs> but I really did like yeah. we, uh, we had our first date and I think that we both were like, this is unlike anything we've ever experienced before. Like, let's do this thing. And I think the biggest thing about any relationship, if you want it to work is intention. Mm-hmm. What is the intention that you're bringing to it? And I think a lot of times there's right person, wrong time. And it's just that, you know, like if I had met Rachel when I was 25, this would not have worked out at all. (laughs) I thankfully met her at this age and it did work out. So I think it's just right person, right time with the right intentions. And yeah, it's, uh, she's, she's incredible. As an individual, I love that you, you spoke about intention
1: as an individual that, I mean, you've got so much going um, I know you are an intentional liver. Are Are you a real kind of organize yourself and how it is like really a pretty planned out solid
0: person with that? For the most part, I'd say, yeah, but I'm also like, I'm pretty spontaneous and I'm pretty like up for anything, but at the, you know, the night before I write down all the things I'm going to do that day. It's right next to me here. Yeah. And then I cross them off as they happen throughout the day for two reasons. One, it does keep me organized and I go, okay, well, I've got this at 12 and then this thing at one, you know, and so on. But also at the end of the day, you cross off some pretty big things and you go, man, like what, what a successful day today. Like right. I wasn't just busy for the sake of being busy. I was busy, like working towards something and actually being productive. Cause there's a huge difference between being, being busy and being productive. So yeah, I also live and die by my iPhone calendar. <laughs> I can relate,
1: uh, and you're right. That's a good extin- uh, distinction to make: busy and productive. And how do you view a productive day over
0: a busy day? I, I think it's so funny that like whoever created this idea of a nine to five work day, like it just doesn't make a lot of sense because in those eight hours, if you're working in an office, are you working all eight hours of those day of that day? It's always so funny to me that if you have a dentist appointment at two o'clock, you somehow magically get all your work done in nine to two instead of (laughs) nine to five. So I'd actually say that the person that does the nine to two with the dentist appointment at two o'clock is probably being a lot more productive than the person who's just being busy. Remember that old Seinfeld thing where uh, George had figured out a way to not work that hard (laughs) by by looking flustered? Anytime right? someone came by his office, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that is so much of office culture is just like, oh. or like, you know, I, I always, was, <laughs> I was talking about how, like, you'll walk down the hall and uh, I never want to be one of those people that didn't enjoy their job or didn't, you know, couldn't enjoy Sunday. Cause Monday was the next day. Yeah. How many times have you walked down the hall and be like, hey, yeah, well it's Monday. Like I, I didn't ask what day of the week it is, but okay.
1: Well, and that's some of the dialogue, Chris, like we were talking before that, you know, um, in my alcoholism and it really a lot of it stemming from, you know, victim mentality that carried through from childhood. And and that was part of that breaking that victim mentality. It, it, like you said, you know, gratitude every day. And that was a big part of it. I had to really break this victim mentality like No one forced me to do a nine to five. That's just what I chose or allowed or whatever it is. And there's something to be said about that breaking of mindset that it just gets you out of the rut. It kind of goes like, F it. I don't, this isn't what I want to do for a living.
0: I'm going to go do what I want to do and I'll figure the rest out. And I think a really big part of that is starting off small and i think that so many people are scared to take the first step towards whatever that dream or that goal is whether that's job related relationship related fitness related whatever it happens to be i think a lot of people are scared to take that first step because the mountain seems so big
1: right
0: and for me i've just started with little goals like when i started reading you know you'd get a book and you'd look at it and go 250 pages that's crazy like that's so much time and then I just started going, what if I could just read two pages a day? So, you know, the left side and the right side every single day. And then I go, well, that means I'll read this book in about 125 days. Man, that means I could read like three books this year. Well, oh, that's three more books than I've ever read my whole life. <laughs> And I think it's those things like you don't have to uh if if you aren't working out right now, you don't need to start training for a marathon. You don't need to get in the gym and start lifting like you're Ronnie Coleman. I think it's important to just like take the first step, start going to the gym, maybe three days a week for 20 minutes or half an hour instead of going, man, I'm going to dive in six days a week, an hour, hour and a half each session, like I'm the rock. You know, I think it's important to like start off small, then celebrate those little wins.
2: 5150 is a lifestyle we believe in pushing yourself finding your passion knowing your dreams and working hard and always striving to make those dreams your reality we believe life is too short to sit back and say what if go after it grab it and make it happen
1: um you know because i i was pretty successful in my first attempt with uh with being sober and then i fell off but i when i had that first attempt one part of that measuring going back and journaling was like i was so gung-ho all or nothing to the extreme and it was it was a, a literally the term like a dry drunk or dry addict because I was a crazy nutcase when I was drinking and I was crazy nutcase when I was sober with this stuff. And it was really about finding a better life balance and living intentionally. That's kind of been my motto of 2022 is intentional living. I love
0: that. Uh, That's something that I actually really got from uh, Oprah um, Mm. is is intentionality. I, I heard a story that Oprah would enter every meeting for the Oprah Winfrey show And instead of just having a meeting for the sake of having a meeting, which I feel like so many people in corporate America can relate to, (laughs) like how many times are you like an hour long into a meeting going, this could have been like an email, you know, Mm -hmm. but she would start every meeting with going, what's our intention here? And I like to think about that in terms of every interview that I do or every film that I watch, whether I'm reviewing it or I'm, I'm doing it as research for an interview that I'm doing. It's like, what is the intention here? And then once you know what your intention is, kind of acts as your North Star, and then you can kind of work your way backwards from there. And I love reverse engineering. I think that that's such an important thing is like, figure out where you want to be and then just work your way backwards from there. Yeah. It's kind of one of the exciting parts of it, isn't it? I'm, I'm,
1: a, I'm a take a look at, let's extrapolate.
0: Me too. Yeah. And no, like I think that far too often we just see the finished product. And that's, you know, I think social media has a lot to blame for that. Mm-hmm. We just see the finished product, especially with all the entrepreneurs that are on there, or the entrepreneurs, some of them. Um, but you just see the success of like someone like Tom Brady with seven Super Bowl rings or an actor with holding up their Oscars, and you don't see everything that happened along the way, you know, you don't hear those stories as often about someone like sleeping in their car, or it was someone's 914th audition. They finally got you know a huge movie. And I think it's important to see that. So what I like to do is like, all right, where are you? Where's that person in their career now? Great. Let's peel it back a few layers. Where were they when they were where I was at, where I am at in my journey? Yeah, well, speaking of your journey, um,
1: when you finally got to LA, uh, it was a pretty bold way that I I was was listening. Like, man, Chris has got some gumption, man. Uh, I tell the story of coming to LA because it really was a hang it out there, let's go
0: for it moment. I I've always spent a lot of time in LA just to the nature of what I've done for work, which is an entertainment reporter. So I've probably been in LA like was in LA like once a month for the last like 10 years. And I kind of always knew that like my career path was leading me there. And I was planning to move on March 16th of 2020. (laughs) So (laughs) we had a going away party planned for me that weekend. And I think that our first indication that things weren't so right in the world is the brewery where we were gonna have the going away party was shut down. We're like, ooh, okay, all right. Well, it's probably just shut down for like, we'll just move this to another brewery. And then we moved, and then that brewery was also shut down. And then I went, okay, now this is like a real thing. So my March 16th turned into, it was like, I'll move in a week. All right, I'll move in a month. I'll move in another month. And it just kept getting pushed back further and further. And I kind of went, it's either going to happen now, or it's not going to happen at all. And I also felt like I, I, re- I really had that FOMO, because if you remember like the middle of 2020, we kind of had these like peaks that like things were going to open up. Like It would remember. It was like, "Ah, it's going to happen in Memorial day. Ah, 4th of July. It's going to happen labor day. Like, and we kept having these like benchmarks and then it was like, everything will be fine by Thanksgiving. I mean, Christmas, everything will be fine by Christmas. You know, the goalposts just kept getting moved further and further back. So right around the labor day, no, right around the Memorial day, I was like, I'm going to move out there. Like, I'm going to start, I set my intention, but I'm going to start to like make this happen and move down in the middle of July. And I was like, as long as the gym is open, I'm okay. As long as I can go to the gym. And this was the point where in LA you had to go to the gym wearing gloves and right. a mask.
1: Uh yeah, we were doing a lot of podcasts down in LA and it was like uh, show your vaccine card, show you know everything. It's like, "Oh my I, goodness." I,
0: and the the day I began my drive is the day the gyms closed back up. And I was like, what am I going to do? It's only so many pushups and dips you can do.
1: Yeah. How did you, you know, being that you are a, you know, a content creator, you, you know, primarily your space is in the entertainment. How did you navigate that time with your career? Did it really help you get innovative?
0: I mean, everybody during that time had to get innovative. Like it's going to be such an amazing thing to watch, look back at the tonight show or all the news uh, stations, like where it's like the main host of the main living room hosting the show. So I had never done a virtual interview in my life. I didn't even have zoom downloaded on my computer or my phone. So I think I had like three or four interviews banked and then it started closing down and I went, Oh, I got to pivot here. I got to pivot in a big way. And I think that one of the blessings in disguise about everything that was going on in 2020 was that everybody's schedule was now instantly wide open, especially in like late March, early April. Like if you reached out to someone and said, Hey, do you want to do an interview? And they said, no, I can't. I'm busy. They're a liar. right? So like Um, it opened up a lot of opportunities because it was the first time in all of our lives that the world came to a screeching halt. So I think that if you were ready and willing to pivot, that there was an opportunity there. And I was very fortunate that I was able to pivot and do a whole bunch of virtual interviews and then do a lot of interviews in the wrestling space. And it was unfortunate, but a lot of those people ended up losing their jobs And I was one of the first interviews that a lot of those people did after losing their jobs. So it was, I don't know, kind of just good timing. And also just, I think, like the fact that I was early enough on it was helpful. Like I didn't just sit back and wait and go, I'll just wait till next week till everything opens up again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That proactive. And you just have to be, especially when you are your business. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I know I, you're you're talking about that. I'm like, yeah. People always ask, how did you get like Charlie Sheen and all these guys on the podcast? Like they weren't doing anything; they had yeah. nothing going on. It's yeah. like, okay, that's how you get it. Oh heck! Um, well, I know we're we're we got a hard out for this one, but I can't get on here and not talk pro wrestling with the fellow pro wrestling fan. I mean, you do you have done some of my favorite. Uh, conversations with people in the profession of pro wrestling. The the recent one, Claudio, uh, the one you did live was just amazing. But what is one of the common threads you find with, with the performers
0: in professional wrestling? Mm. I think one of the biggest ones is there's so much hard work that goes into it. And like Claudio would be a great example. Like there's someone who was doing his thing in Europe and then moved over here. Like, I think that what you don't see is all of the time that those performers put in making $0 or $25 on the independent circuit. And I think that there's just so much hard work and that now gives them this insane work ethic. So I think that that's a really big thing that they all have in common. Like I I truly feel that a lot of pro wrestlers could be successful in any venture that they'd ever want to get into because they have this insane work ethic and the ones that are at the top don't take no for an answer. Like we talked about earlier. So I think that it's like you combine that together and of course they're going to be successful in wrestling, but they'd be successful in whatever they want to do. Yeah. And don't you think that for the, that for individuals, you
1: know, my experience, I mean, I've had the pleasure of talking with, you know, Kurt Angle and Ric Flair and, and working in and around the business. I actually used to work with uh, Shotzi Blackheart before she got, wow, yeah. got into cool. NXT and WWE. And y- you see that, but then you have guys like The Rock and John Cena. And so there are like the ultimate workhorses that it's, it's on a totally different plane than other individuals.
0: Yeah, Ken Kennedy told me a story about how when he first got to WWE, there was a story going around that John Cena had only been home one day in the last 365. Yeah. I, I will say, though, I think there's some trade offs there. Sure. Like I think that you know, that's a lifestyle. And I think that there's some trade offs that have to be made there. But if your career is the most important thing to you, then make it the most important thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and if, you know, and I mean, you take a look at a guy like John Cena, of course, bringing value to the company you worked for, building his personal brand, but at the same time, still giving back so much within it. Yeah.
0: John Cena's just been such a great person that I've got to know over the handful of interviews that we've done together. Yeah. And like I did that episode that you referenced at the start of the show, like yeah. the three words that he said to me that change my life and will continue to change my life every day is control the controllable. Like all you can do is focus on the things that you have control over, which is how you want to react to the situations. Yeah, I couldn't
1: agree more. My sponsor oftentimes when I call him and I'm like, "Oh, this that and the other thing." He's like, "Serenity prayer, man." You know. <laughs> That's it. Just 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 hit that, you know, control the things you can, accept the things you can't and have the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. You know, that's sometimes that's all we can do. Uh, Well, Chris, I like to wrap up with uh, some fun, random questions. And I leave you with the final word. So here, let's do it. All right. If you could uh, have book any WrestleMania main event with any performers ever, who would be the two uh, performers in the main event? That's never happened before. Let's go. Never happened before.
0: Oh my gosh. So my favorite WrestleMania match of all time is rock Hogan. WrestleMania 18. I was there in the crowd. Were you? Yeah, which made it even more special for me. Well, I'm sure it had to have
1: because, you know, like, it's funny. Like people say, turn off the volume. Not such a great match. Volume on, one of the greatest matches ever. Absolutely.
0: I, uh, man, I think I want to see, I'm going to give you a match that we maybe couldn't have a chance to see. Okay. So, like Macho Man, Randy Savage. (laughs) I think that someone with like insane charisma, like Macho Man in his prime versus someone with insane charisma, The Rock in his prime. Like, I think that's a match that I would love to
1: see. Oh, God. Yeah. Cause they both would know how to work the crowd. But I think Randy Savage
0: was so underrated for that. So underrated. And I think that if Randy, I mean, Randy Savage Savage is an absolute legend. But I think for as good as he was during the era that he was in, if he had showed up on the scene just like seven to 10 years later, we'd be talking about him like the way that we talk about like Rock Austin from the Attitude era. I agree. I agree. I saw
1: him one time as a WCW house show, best match of the night, and he
0: hardly did anything. It was the way he had the crowd just sitting right there. He's so good. I, and I, I think it's a little unfortunate that his time in WCW was nothing like his time in WWF. And it's, I just think that that version of him wasn't nearly as good. Whereas Hogan, the version of him in WCW was Hollywood Hogan was still fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It kept that, that, momentum rolling for him in a different direction biggest heel sure. turn
0: of all time
1: oh yeah we could go on and on about that i could do an hour alone on on that <laughs> brilliance it's, it it truly was i mean how no many good. of us all of a sudden were at the edge of our seats every monday night you know spending <laughs> hours and hours uh, you know kept me out of trouble uh, anyways um uh, another ra- okay chris you write your book which i encourage you to because I think that, you know, we hardly touch the surface of, of the man that is Chris Van Vliet, but they license it for a TV show or movie. Who would you want to play you as an adult?
0: And it could be anybody. Mm hmm. Oh, man, who's going to play me? Oh, I think it'd have to be someone that's just so incredibly handsome <laughs> and so <suave laughs> charisma is just oozing out of them. So, I mean, I think that I'll just go with a fellow Chris here. I'll either go uh, Chris Evans. <laughs> Or Chris Hemsworth can cut his hair and um, look, none, none of those look anything, look anything <laughs> like me, but their name's Chris. <laughs> it works. I, man. I've been told on, uh, on a few occasions that I look like Henry Cavill. So if Henry Cavill could do whatever version of this Canadian American accent that I have now, which of course he could, because he's an incredible actor, maybe him. Um, I've also, I've, I've interviewed Freddie Prince Jr. And become friendly with him. And I like, it was funny when I did the interview with him. He's like, oh, it's like, this is like <laughs> me looking like a time machine here. <laughs> That's funny. I was thinking that myself, uh,
1: uh quick question, uh, about ego. How do you keep it in check? Are you just coming up with these off the top of your head? That's one that I had wanted to ask you, but I forgot to sneak in earlier, but I didn't want to leave this conversation because uh, again, I am a a fan of your work. And as I learn more about you, a fan of you as a person, and it's something that I've really had to start to be okay with. uh, Some areas not being humble. Like I am a loud and proud voice of mental health and recovery community. And I bring value to that. But at the same time, don't allow it to make you a dick. So yeah. I ask you, cause you're in this situation where, you, you know, you work with all these different people, you get the accolades and things that how does Chris keep his ego in check?
0: I think the biggest thing for me is if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Mm. And that's been a big part of my life is just trying to learn from the other people that are doing this, but at a much higher level. So Mm -hmm. I think when I started my career early on, I worked really hard, like really hard to get some big opportunities. And I just realized like, who in this room is really crushing it? Like, I'll give you an example with like celebrity interviews, like who of the other 20, 25 people that are here to interview whoever it is, who's really crushing it? And I started to identify like, oh, that guy's really crushing it. She's Mm -hmm. really crushing it. Like, what are they doing? And that's been a really big thing for me is going, all right, I may think that I'm doing well, but then when you start to um, see where someone else is, you go, Oh, I've still got a long, long way to go. So I I think that it's just, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And I'm, I feel like uh, it, once you start to go over that line, I think that that's when you're in trouble with your ego.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I, I was, uh, it's so one thing I wanted to ask you because you are one of those people where if I, we were in the same room right now, I'd be like that guy's crushing it. So that's uh, I appreciate that. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely, uh, Chris. The the floor is yours. Uh, you know, I like to ask the guests to leave with some some wisdom about you know anyone that's facing any sort of adversity,
0: struggles, and challenges. What you might lend to them. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for, first of all, this opportunity to share this great conversation. And now for this opportunity to just, you know, kind of leave them with something. And I think it just kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you can center yourself around gratitude and what you do have, like there's good and bad in every single day, and it's up to you which one you want to focus on. And I think that if you can, this is the reason I ask my guests at the end of every episode, what are three things you're grateful for? Because then you see someone who's so, so insanely successful in whatever career path they've chosen, they're grateful for the same things that I have, or you have, like they're grateful for a roof over their head. They're grateful for their family. Like they're grateful for their health. It's like, wow, why why am I in such a bad mood when I can be grateful for those same things too? So I would say just focus on the things that you do have and practice gratitude, like be grateful for the things you have and celebrate them. Absolutely. Uh, of course, if folks want to find out more about Chris,
1: you can go to your official website, chrisvanvleet.com. And uh, hey, the podcast guys, Insight with Chris Van Vleet. I am a subscriber, regular listener. I highly recommend. Hit that subscribe, but not only on the audio platform, but Chris's YouTube as well. Tons of great content up there. And uh, this has been a real honor. Dude, thank you so much. This is the Knockin' Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knockin'
2: Doors Down is all about. Here at Knockin' Doors Down, we share the stories of people who overcome adversity. You know that already, but what you may not know is that our partners at the Carlos Vieira Foundation aim to help people who struggle with their own adversities as well. The Carlos Vieira Foundation helps those in need through their race for autism, race to be drug-free, and race to end the stigma campaigns. You can also choose the Carlos Vieira Foundation as your charitable organization on Amazon Smile to contribute as well. To learn more and support these causes, check out all the info at carlosvierafoundation.org.
3: While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.